And I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 9. I'm going to talk about being a covenant person. And I've titled the message, Taking Your City by Serving Others. By Serving Others. And the great message of this passage is that there are times that either through our own mistakes, our own uh, misunderstanding, or through our own uh, stupidity, that we find ourselves in situations where we have a choice to make. Will I be a person that is a person of my word? Will I serve others in their weakness even when the world would say they don't deserve it? What is going to be my attitude towards them? And sometimes people in this situation, they were deceived. They had someone that lied to them, deceived them. And, 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 and because of that, they entered into a relationship with them. But even in that situation, Joshua honored his word because he recognized his word was not just making a covenant with Gibeon, but it was making a covenant with God. I grew up in Texas, and in Texas, growing up as a young man, your word meant something. If people couldn't take you by your word, then you didn't mean much to them. In fact, I remember as a young boy, my dad calling up the president of the bank where he did business and he said, I found a car I want to buy. He gave him the car, the information, where the dealership was, what he, everything they needed to know. And he said, I appreciate you handling that and hung it up. He didn't fill out any paperwork. He didn't go into the bank. Why? Because the banker knew him and trusted his word. That's very rare today. But we're going to see in Joshua, Joshua was a man of his word. And he made a covenant with these people that didn't deserve it. They deceived him, but he still stood according to the word that he had given. So I want you to join with me. We're just going to hit the highlights of these two passages today. I want us to look at verse 1 in chapter 9. We're going to begin with verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on the, this side of the Jordan in the hills and in the lowland and all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite heard of it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. They had heard about the destruction of Jericho and Ai. And they thought the only way that we can stand, because those cities were walled cities, they were defended, they were strong, and they fell to Joshua and Israel. So the only way we're going to stand a chance is coming together and fighting them as one. So that was their plan. That's what the kings wanted to do. The Gibeons, 
were powerful. They were mighty, the Scripture says. It says they had a great city that governed other cities. So they would have been considered a royal city, a governing city over other smaller cities. And they decide, hey, we don't want to end up like Jericho and Ai, so what are we going to do? We're going to make a covenant. But they, said, they thought, they're not going to make a covenant with us because they know that this is the land that they're coming to take. They were only about 10, 15 miles at the most away, and yet they said, we need to deceive them. So let's, let's go on and look at verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they, they worked craftfully and went and pretended to be ambassadors, and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. And as I said a moment ago, the truth was they were only about 10 to 15 miles away. But they calculated what to do to make it look like they had come a great distance. In verse 7 it says, Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? Now this was a common phrase used in that day. And we need to understand they weren't coming and surrendering to Israel. This was just a common phrase used, we are your servants, to gain favor with someone when they first were introduced to them. So they weren't saying we're going to pay tribute to you or we're going to be your slaves. That's not what they were saying. They were just saying, we want to be friends with you. Now look at verse 9. So they said to them, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt. Verse 10. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. So they were using wisdom here because they didn't mention that they had heard about Jericho or Ai because that would have given them away. So they're talking about what they heard about God doing for them in a, in a, in a time past before they had gotten this far. Look at verse 14. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not, listen to this, they did not ask counsel of the Lord. Have you ever done something without praying about it and wished you had prayed about it? I think all of us have done that. And God is, is giving us a powerful spiritual point here. Everything that's going to succeed in life to God's fulfillment and God's plan and purpose has to have a strong foundation of prayer. Amen? Whether it's your life and your family or our church or some other ministry, whatever it is, it needs a strong foundation of prayer if it's going to succeed. They were deceived because they didn't ask God. They didn't take time. 
why do you think they didn't seek the Lord? They were relying on their own senses, what they could see, what they could hear from them, and they were deceived. Church, we shouldn't be relying on our own senses. Amen? We need to rely on the Lord and what He directs us to do. Look at verse 15. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. So they took an oath before God. They made a covenant with the Lord. Later it tells us in the scripture that they were making not only a covenant with them, but they were making a covenant with the Lord. And I want you to think about that. As a Christian... When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are coming into a covenant relationship with Him. And the idea of covenant relationship is just like a marriage covenant where two become one. They were saying, this nation, we are welcoming you to come in and be one with us. With all the privileges, with all the rights. When you are a Christian and you make that covenant relationship with the Lord, everything that we speak should be truth. Amen? We should always recognize that we're in a covenant relationship with God, that we represent Him, and what we speak matters. Even on the tough things, Scripture says, speak the truth in love. It doesn't say take the truth like a club and beat somebody over the head with it. And some of us like to do that. I know the truth and I'm going to show you the truth. Here it is right here. Whack! But we don't do that. We, We speak the truth in love. So they find themselves... In a difficult situation. And a covenant in the biblical sense implies more than what it would be in a contract. All of us are familiar with contracts. You know, we sign contracts to buy a house, to buy a car, to do different things. And a contract usually has to do with a single point in your life. It has to do with, you know, a skill maybe that you have. Maybe if you come into a contract agreement uh, for, to perform a service, say you're a carpenter, you're going to do carpentry in a home, you have a contract. But a covenant has to do with all that you are, who you are. And it has to do with welcoming someone in to be one. So it's powerful. And What I want us to see is in verse 19, it says that they were making a covenant with God. They were recognizing that they weren't just making a contract with these people, but before God, they were welcoming these people to come in. Look at verse 16. And it happened at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. So three days later, they realize they've been deceived. They realize they've been lied to. But what does Joshua do? He finds himself in a problem because he didn't seek the Lord. He didn't pray about it. Neither did the elders. 
He made a mistake of judgment, but he finds himself, will I live up to the commitment that I've made? He could have backed out of it. How many of us would be tempted to back out of that? We'd start pointing fingers, say, you lied to me. You lied, therefore it's, it's null and void, right? But Joshua doesn't do that. He made a covenant with God. He wasn't going to go back on what he had promised. Look at verse 18. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. How many of us like to complain? How many of us like to point fingers? Joshua, you didn't pray. And here's Joshua. The elders, you didn't pray. The people, none of you prayed. Right? You got us into a big mess. You got us into a mess. But that's, that's not what they do. They, they, don't, they don't focus on that. You know, it's easy to blame others. Sometimes we want to blame God. Have you ever blamed God? Sometimes we blame ourselves, but it's real easy to blame others. Jump down to verse 22 and 23. Then Joshua called for them, and he spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you dwell near us? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and none of you shall be free from being slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. So Joshua confronts their deceit. He, he says, no, you lied to us. And because of that, you're bringing a curse upon yourself. You're going to be servants in the house of our God. And what's interesting is the fact that this relationship continued for hundreds of years. In fact, in the time of David, 400 years later, the same descendants of these people were still working in, in, the, in the sanctuary, in the, in the house of God, taking care of what needed to be supplied there. So he confronts them in their deception, but that's not the only problem. Now we jump into chapter 10. Not only did, did they deceive him, and he said, we made a covenant to God, so I'm going to keep my word. We know you deceived us. So you're going to be a slave and you're going to take care of the, the wood cutting in the house of the God, bringing the water and the things. But that's not all. Look what happens in chapter 10. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. That they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. So Adonai Zedek was the leader of this group of five kingdoms that came together to fight against Israel. And he is, he's worried, he's upset, and he's saying, Gibeon is a traitor. 
They, those people have, have, have turned their back on us. They should be fighting with us. That's the only hope we have. And so now, let's all march on Gibeon and teach them a lesson. We're going to wipe them out. So that was what the, the five kingdoms decided to do, to destroy Gibeon. So look at verse 6 in chapter 10. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Now put yourself in this situation. If you're Joshua, he gets the news. Serves him right. They deceived us. My problem's solved. They're going to wipe out Gibeon. Our, our covenant is going to be null and void, and everything will be back to normal, right? But that's not what he does. How easy would, have that, would that have been to do? Or, or, or just to hesitate a little bit. Right? Just to hesitate and say, well, well, we'll go to their aid, but we've got a few days. We need to take care of some things and get the camp put together right and choose what men we're going to go to fight. And You see what I mean? There's all different thing, ways that he could have reacted, but that's not how he reacted. Look at verse 7. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. Joshua doesn't hesitate. He gets everybody, he brings all of his resources, and he immediately acts on behalf of these people who are in a state of weakness, who didn't deserve it, but he was a man of his word. He had made a covenant with the living God, and he was a representative of the God of all creation. And he says, we're going to act. All that we have, we're going to go. We're going to defend Gibeon. And notice, it's interesting it says they ascended from Gilgal. They were going uphill. It was an uphill march. They traveled at least 10 miles, possibly as much as 15 miles. In one night, they marched to get there to fight for Gibeon. That's an amazing story to me. That's, that's taking the flesh and, you know, stomping on the flesh because the flesh doesn't want to do that. Amen? The flesh wants to get even with them. The flesh doesn't want to defend them. But they were people of their word. They became, listen to this, they became servants to the people of Gibeon. Is that powerful? They put their lives on the line for the people of Gibeon. In verse 8 it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. God is renewing his promise to Israel. And it's because Joshua took that stance as a person of covenant with God. God says, You don't have to fear None of them are going to be able to stand against you. 
In verse 9, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. All night, that all the men, the, the whole warring group, uh, the whole army, they were all marching, following Joshua, who was their general. And they, you know, it's interesting to me, it doesn't say that there was any murmuring or complaining. I like that. Because an army that murmurs and complains and ridicules and points fingers is an army that's not going not to succeed. They knew the covenant had been given. They were showing their support. All of them were going to follow their general into battle. Even though they had been deceived, even those people didn't deserve it, they were going to serve the weaker people because they'd given their word. Look at verse 10. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter to Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. I love that. There's a message there, church. If we are covenant people and we serve others, God will chase down and destroy our enemy. Amen? And this began a series of victory. This was a lesson that God wanted them to learn. They weren't going to have any more defeats. They were going to have 31 consecutive victories because they were covenant people representing the true and the living God. They were people of their word, and God blessed them for it. God's going to bless you, church, when you make that covenant with him and you live for him and you are people of your word and you serve others who are weaker. I think that's powerful, don't you? And not only that, Joshua gets to see the greatest miracle of his life. Look at verse 11. The Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. God was showing them he is the one that wins the victory. He's the one that wins the battle. He was demonstrating his power and God through the hailstones. And notice, not one of the Israelites was struck with the hailstones. Now that's, a, that's an unbelievable mi uh, miracle. I, grew up, I told you a while ago, I grew up in Texas. We know what it's like to have hailstorms. I've been caught out in a hailstorm and I had a hailstone the size of a baseball come through my windshield of my van. My sister had, this, had a hailstone the size of a softball come through the roof of her house completely into her living room. And if you get caught out in that, guess what? You're going to be pounded. <laughs> You're going to be a little black and blue. And if you get hit with one of those large ones, it'll kill you. That's what happened here. But notice, God miraculously protected his children. Amen. When you're in the midst of the battle, you can trust the battle belongs to the Lord and He is going to protect you in the midst of the battle. Uh, thank you, Lord. Now look at verse 12. I love this. 
Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon and Moon in the valley of Ajalon. He asked for a miracle, and notice here, he said, in the sight of all Israel. He wasn't ashamed to ask God for a miracle. I want to ask you, when you ask for a miracle, is it in the sight of someone else? Can they hear you pray for the miraculous? Or do you go and you hide in the closet and pray for a miracle? Ouch. Most of us will say, yes, I I pray for miracles. But how many of us are bold enough to pray for a miracle when we know unsaved people are listening or others around us are listening? Joshua stood in front of everybody and he he said, God, I need a miracle. Don't be afraid to shout out to God in the midst of a time when you need a miracle. I love this. He was trusting in the promise of God that they would not stand, that God was going to give them the victory, and he saw the greatest miracle of his life. And Joshua had seen miracle after miracle. He had seen miracles in the wilderness. He had seen the miracles leaving Egypt, God setting them free, the plague. He had gone in, and now they had won great battles. He had seen miracles. And yet, church, it doesn't matter how great a miracle you have seen, the God that we serve can do a greater miracle than anything he's ever done in your life I believe that and I don't know about you I've seen God do some great miracles but church I'm crying out God I want to see greater miracles than I've ever experienced in my life God answered Joshua's prayer scripture doesn't tell us how he did it and, and people scoff at this, and they say it's impossible, and it couldn't have happened because of this and that and how everything's created. And church, if you believe Genesis 1-1, it's easy to believe everything else in Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If he created them, he knows how to sustain them. He knows how to answer Joshua's request, and that's exactly what he does. Look at now, jump to the end of chapter 10, verse 24. So it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and said to the captains of the men of war who went with him, Come near. Put your feet on the necks of these kings, and they drew near and put their feet on their necks. Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Joshua wanted them to experience literally the victory and dominion that God wanted them to live in. So he had them come and put their foot 
on the neck of those kings, their enemies, signifying victory and dominion. And church, God wants you to literally experience that kind of victory and dominion over your enemy. God wants us to live in victory and dominion. In Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter, it talks about when God created man. And it says he, he wanted them to live in dominion. He gave them dominion over everything. And church, it tears my heart apart to see so many Christians wounded and just limping through life and struggling and not living in the victory that God's Word promises us. And church, I want to see God literally show each and every one of us just like Joshua gathered those men and he said, I want you to put your foot on the neck of the enemy. I want you to experience victory and dominion. This is what God brings into our lives when we're covenant people. Church, make that commitment. Be a covenant person. If you've never made a commitment to Jesus, today's the best day to do it. Amen? Be a covenant person. And if you've made a commitment to Christ, recognize your life no longer belongs to you. It belongs to Him. And you're going to live for Him. And you're going to be guided and directed by Him throughout your life. And you're going to accomplish His plan and His purpose for your life. Be a covenant person. Be a person when you speak your word, everyone that hears it can settle it's done. That's truth. I can depend on the word that they speak. Amen? As Christians, our yes should be yes and our no should be no. And people should be able to trust what comes out of our mouths. And everything that we speak should be representative that we are not only speaking truth to someone else, but we're in a covenant relationship with God that governs everything in our lives. Amen? There's three things that come out of this story, and we're going to end with this. First of all, they had a relationship with the Gibeonites for centuries. But it was because Joshua and Israel were covenant people and they served the Gibeons, get this, they served the Gibeons before the Gibeons served them. So many times we think, you know, we hear about living in dominion and we think, well, dominion's going to come because I pray. And yes, prayer's vital. But we think about, well, I've got to operate in the authority that I have in Christ Jesus. And His Word has given me promises. And I'm going to operate in that authority of Jesus. But this teaches us a whole new realm or dimension of living in dominion. And that is, when you serve others first in covenant and your covenant people with God, God will lead you into victory after victory after victory. He will lead you into a life of dominion. Two people like that, okay. 
The second thing, they established a pathway to dominion that would, would have never found, they would have never found on any other terms. Third, they established a pathway to a series of victory. Look at chapter 12. It'll, it'll list the kings, 31 different kings that they conquered and won the victory. And there's one more thing. They experienced their greatest miracle. So being covenant people matters. If we're going to take our city for Jesus, we've got to be covenant people. People that people can trust their word. Amen. I want you to stand with me. I want the worship team to come. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come, and we're going to have prayer team members at the front and at the back of the auditorium. And I want to remind you the two words that Mary, the Lord laid on Mary's heart. If those words spoke to you today, I want you to find one of our prayer team. The one about fear, God will set you free from that fear. And whatever your need is today, I want you to know we want to pray with you. We're on your side. The Lord's on your side. We want to minister with, with the Lord and just pray with you today because prayer makes a difference. And I want, to, I want to ask you, I want to challenge you. Are you a covenant person? Have you made a covenant with God? Do you look at your relationship with Him as being a covenant relationship? And if you have made a commitment to Him and, and made that covenant, are you living as a covenant person? Are you living a life where people can trust what you speak? Are you living a life that people look at you and they see something different? They know that they can trust you because you're sold out to Jesus. Because you're committed to God. Because that's a person that the world needs to see today. Amen. There's so many people today that are hurting. So many people today that are wounded. So many people today that just need hope and they don't have any hope. They look at a world that is just coming apart. And they don't have any hope, any direction. In church, they need to be able to see people that are sold out to Jesus. They need to see people that are covenant people with the living God. People that aren't afraid in these last days. People that will come with genuine hope and share that hope with them. That's who I want to be and I hope that's who you want to be too. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for everyone that's here today. Lord, I thank you that the story we read about Joshua today is not a fairy tale. I thank you, Lord, that you gave historical account of how you worked in the lives of your people in the past so that we would know that you will work in the lives of your people in the present. And Lord, we desire to be covenant people. Lord, we desire to be people that recognize we're in a covenant relationship with you.
And there's responsibility that goes along with that. Lord, that we will serve others in their weakness. We will even serve others, Lord, when, when we, like Joshua, have been deceived. Lord, we're going to be people of our word. People that when we give our word, people can trust it. They can take it to the bank. And Lord, I pray that our church would be known as a covenant church where it's filled with people that aren't perfect, but Lord, we're striving to grow in you. We're striving to mature in you. We want to be those covenant people. And Lord, we turn to you and we ask you, Lord, to make us those covenant people today. Make us people of our word. People that others can trust. And people that will recognize that we're in a covenant relationship with the true and the living God. And Lord, if there's any other needs today, we're just going to welcome people to come and to pray and to take those needs to you. In Jesus' name.